So have you guys seen the or heard about the new TV show called The Parent Test? Anybody heard of this? Yeah, I know. I just, someone told me about it. I, so I checked it out. It's brand new. It just came out, I think, um, like in the end of December. And it's on ABC. This, that's not an advertisement for it, but um, I checked it out. I checked out part of an episode. And I was like, what a trip. So he, here's, the, here's the concept. They bring in 12 parents, and um, each parent has, represents a parenting style. I didn't know there was 12 parenting styles. Apparently there is. And uh, what they do is they talk about their parenting style, and then they show videotapes of these parents interacting with their families, with their kids. And then the other 11 parents then comment on the, the way they parented, you know, either compliment them or critique them or there's a discussion, but it's all these 12 sets of parents talking about each other's parent styles. And every time a picture goes up of a particular couple, it lists their parenting style. And I was, I was like, I've, I've never heard of some of these parenting styles. So I went online to see if I could find the parent test website and to find their 12 parenting styles. And here they are, the natural, never heard of the natural parenting style. Child-led parenting style? I'm glad you're laughing. I hope every campus is. That's a joke. Um, new age, oh, I can only imagine what that one is. Discipline, traditional, intensive, helicopter. I've heard about helicopter parents, but I didn't know it was an official parenting style. Here's my favorite. What the heck is free-range parenting? I, I, I guess they eat free-range eggs? I have no idea. And then, you know, some of these others maybe make sense. I, I don't know if this is an official list. I never heard of some of these parenting styles. But, um, you know, th think about for a second what the parenting style, if you had to choose from these, what parenting style did your parents use? Okay, just think about that for a second. And, because we've all got parents. And if you're a parent, which, which one of these would you might gravitate towards? Okay, just think about that for a second. And then let me ask you this question. What parenting style do you think Jesus' parents use? And if that feels like a kind of out of left field, what, what Jesus' parents, what, you know, are they on the show? No, no, no. This is just... If you're new to us, we're preaching to the gospel of Luke, and we're in Luke 2, where we're watching Luke, the writer, record all these little vignettes of Jesus' parents. And um, while we wish there was a lot more about Jesus as a kid and Jesus' parents and the way that they parent, I mean, I think any Christian parent wishes that there was a lot more information about the way Joseph and Mary parented. But there's a lot more I'm discovering than I've ever thought of before. So turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to think about that question today. And, and we're going to read the same text we read last week, but maybe with some new eyes, because we heard some things last week. And because of this question, I want you to be thinking about what parenting style did Jesus' parents, because everybody has a parenting style. Everybody does their parenting thing a certain way, and I don't know if Jesus' parents fit into one of the categories we just looked at, but once you find Luke chapter 2, why don't you stand to your feet, 
when we just do this to honor God's word, <clears throat> Luke chapter two, and um, I'll, again, I'm gonna read the same thing I read last week, but there's some more goodies in here that we didn't get to last week. So verse 22 of Luke chapter two, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, wow, that's a mouthful, Joseph and Mary took him, that is Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So this is just a picture of Joseph and Mary bringing Jesus to the city of Jerusalem, specifically we're gonna see to the temple. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated. This is a, this is a picture of dedication. They're dedicating their child to the Lord. I, I was trying to figure out if I could dedicate a child today in the sermon, but um, I, didn't plan, I didn't plan ahead far enough. Thought that would be cool. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. This was the sacrifice. Now, meanwhile, Luke says, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is the coming of the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And last week we pointed out how three times in this short section, this mentioned the Holy Spirit, moved by the Holy Spirit now. He went into the temple courts. And when the parents, that is Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took Jesus in his arms, such a beautiful picture, and praised God, saying and praise, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Get, picture this. He's, lo he's looking at Jesus, the baby Jesus, 40 days old, and saying, my eyes have seen your salvation. I just love that which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, that is non-Jews, and a glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother were blown away, that's my translation, at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, that is Joseph and Mary, and said to Mary his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And he will be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. We said last week, parenting can be painful. Apparently for Mary, it's gonna be extra painful. Of course, we know this is a reference to the cross. Now, pause. There was also a prophet, Anna, a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying and coming up to Simeon and Joseph, Mary and Jesus at that very moment she blessed God, gave thanks to God, and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, 
they returned to Galilee to their own town of Bethlehem. Okay, I'm sorry, of Nazareth. <laughs> you, may, you may be seated. <laughs> no, that's funny. So this, this picture of Joseph and Mary living in Bethlehem, which is about seven miles um, south of Jerusalem. So uh, they, they walk up to the, the, the city of Jerusalem and they walk up the mount to the temple and they're going to present their son. I don't know how many of you have ever dedicated your children to the Lord. Um, I have done a lot of baby dedications and it's always a, a, a powerful time for me. And sometimes I look at the parents and they've got tears in their eyes. That, this is such a, a significant moment. I recognize that God has given me this child and I wanna give her back. I wanna give him back. I wanna present this child to the Lord as an act of gratitude, as an act of dedication. So that's what Joseph and Mary are doing. And they're doing these purification rites, these customs, these ceremonies. And they're, this is a solemn moment. They're bringing sacrifices uh, to, to the Lord in this temple. And it, there's all these priests around. It's just a, uh, the, the temple itself was a majestic, incredible sight. All this gold and marble and bronze and all the smoke. It was just an amazing multi-sensory experience. And all this is happening. And Luke is recording for us a lot of details. Why all the details? Well, as I said the last couple of weeks, I think Luke is going out of his way to help us see that Joseph and Mary want to do everything they can to honor God, to raise this child that they believe is a gift from God. Of course, every child is. And to raise this child the way God intended every child to be raised in Israel, to be a God-centered. I want that phrase to just sink in your mind throughout this sermon. A God-centered child. That's God's vision for every parent that you would help nurture a God-centeredness. Everybody say in all the campuses, say God-centered child with me. God-centered child. Think about what that might mean. Because there's all kinds of you know, things that people center their life around. People center their life around work, around money, around family, around um, uh, accomplishments, achievements. Um, of course, the most popular thing that we center our life around is ourselves, self-centeredness. But God is like, I want you to center your life around me. Let's pause and ask yourself the question, would you describe you, you know yourself better than anybody, would you describe yourself as a God-centered person? Or is God important to you, but he's not the center? Something else, your family is the center. Your job is the center. Your child is the center of your life. See, there can only be one center and God calls us to make him the center of our life and then to pass that on to our children. So the primary task, we've said, of parenting is to nurture this God-centeredness. And I showed you a whole bunch of scriptures last week. I'll just pull out one of those, how God says, be careful and watch. When you get busy living your life, get busy having kids, get busy building and all the things you do, watch yourselves closely so that you don't forget the things I've shown you, God says, the things that you've experienced, 
the things your eyes have seen, or let them fade from your heart. I meet people every once in a while who the passion for God has faded. Their love for God has faded from their heart, and now they're just going through the motions. Or don't let them fade from your hearts as long as you live. And then this emphatic phrase, but I'm not just concerned about you and your heart. Teach these to your children and to their children after them. And you can just kind of get a dot, 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 and their children. So this language of teach, if someone is going to live a God-centered life, it must be taught to do so. God says, he commands, teach them. And this is what I think Luke is trying to help us see. One of the things about Joseph and Mary is that they've caught this vision and modeled a commitment to raise their son to live a God-centered life. I think that's what all this talk about, obeying the law, coming to temple, paying attention to all the things that God says. When you have a child, do this. Do this on the seventh day. Do this on the eighth day. Do this on the 40th day. And Joseph and Mary seem to be following this to the T. And so Luke has them, he's recording for us a picture of God-centered parents who are training their son to be a God-centered boy, a God-centered child. And that's what I'm fascinated about. And with that in mind, I dig in a little deeper into this chapter and I keep seeing all these indications of Joseph and Mary practicing this kind of God-centered living and parenting. So last week, I introduced the fact that, that Joseph and Mary didn't make up their parenting plan. They're following specific verses from the Old Testament. Of course, in those days, the Old Testament wasn't called the Old Testament. It was just called the Scriptures because that's all they had, just the first part of the Bible. And so they're following exact verses. They're following exact commandments over and over and over again. And what we saw the last couple of weeks is that there's actually a plan that God um, gave the nation of Israel over the course of centuries and the, right now, we're reading in the church-wide devotions through the book of Genesis, and we've been reading about the birth of the nation of Israel, how God called Abraham and said, I'm going to start a people through you. Abraham said, I'm, I'm 99, and I don't have any kids yet. God's like, I'll take care of that. Abraham apparently, well, not apparently, but Abraham believed. And so God began to say to him and cast vision for him about, I'm gonna make you the father of many nations. And we see the story in Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. And all the tribes of Israel, all this story gets told. And throughout this story, we begin to see God unfolding his plan. And we hear him talk about, I am your father and you are my children. God he casts himself as the father of Israel, casts the people of Israel as the children of Israel. And there's this parenting metaphor going on. And when you see that, you start reading the Old Testament and realize all these things that God's putting in place are parenting principles that he, the father, is doing to raise his children to love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, to be, to center their lives around him. And so we've been looking at this plan the last couple of weeks. And, and I said last week that, I, and, and if you've got your notes, pull your notes out. We're gonna toggle back and forth between the blue 
um, rectangle, which is God's plan to train Israel, God the Father, and a bronze or orange, whatever color is in your bulletin, um, a, a plan that we're going to draw today from that. So we're going to toggle back and forth throughout this sermon, like we did last week. And the first, what we saw last week is the first thing that God instructed them to do was to teach your kids the Torah, the scriptures, read the scriptures. And so that's our plan for today. We're going we're gonna to read and teach the scriptures to our children. That's, that was last week. Then God says, there needs to be loving discipline because Israel is not following my plan. I need to bring them back. Same thing with kids. You know, we want to lovingly and appropriate, appropriately discipline our kids. And then the third thing we saw last week is that God gave the nation of Israel these customs and ceremonies that emphasize a God-centered life. And we looked at some of what those are. Circumcision, this dedication ceremony, mikvah baths, that's a purification bath, that's what that means. Uh, Sabbath, uh, um, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, all these Jewish customs, but most of us aren't Jews, so we don't need to do these things. These are, these are for the Jewish people, but there are customs and ceremonies that we can create for our family. This is what I'm encouraging you to do, is come up with meaningful customs and ceremonies for your family. You're like, well, like what? Well, like we've already mentioned baby dedication, baptism, Bible memorization clubs, you know, just little fun things that you do with your kids as they're growing up. How about using their birthday party as a way to remind them that God created you. How about using birthday parties to get them think about how God wanted you to be on this earth? So you know, read Psalm 139 to your children on their birthday. I mean, what a great idea. You're here, you have a birthday because God dreamed you up and gave you to us. Your birthday is, is a day to celebrate that God wanted you here. Have you ever had a birthday party like that? See, this is the, I, I wanna get you thinking about ways that we can create customs and ceremonies to celebrate our kids as gifts from God and to help shape a God consciousness, a God-centeredness in our children. There's a lot of cultures that have coming-of-age ceremonies. There's not a lot of these in, the, in North America. Um, and at least not from the, the European North Americans. And as more and more cultures come to America, we're starting to see more and more coming-of-age ceremonies. I love that. Create a coming-of-age ceremony for your children. Years ago, I knew a guy named Mark, who attended this church, who when his kid turned 16, he created this, this party, this, this ceremony in his home and invited other godly men, and they laid hands on his son. And they celebrated his 16 years. And they, they said, you know, welcome to manhood. And, and they, they did a bunch of things that were just cool. And I thought, man, Mark, that's, that's an awesome idea. So just kind of planting some ideas in your brain to, to create some meaningful customs and, and things that you can do. Because we see God doing that with the nation of Israel. Now, <clears throat> as you read the Old Testament, if there's any custom that God gave the Israelites, if there's any custom that the Jews practiced the most, it was probably the custom of prayer. And we see this is exactly what God is doing throughout the nation of Israel, inviting them into this relationship. And they're praying and they, they, they start doing these spontaneous prayers to God of gratitude and thanksgiving. And then these formal and customary prayers. Now, Luke does not record for us the words that Joseph and Mary prayed, but we know these dedication ceremonies, they're with, they're with prayer. 
these sacrificial uh, ceremonies. They're with prayer. The, the purification rites. It's, there's always a prayer associated with every ceremony in the Old Testament, every ceremony that God gave. And so while we don't see Luke or Joseph and Mary's words and their formal prayer for dedication or whatever, he does record a spontaneous prayer of Simeon. And we just read it. So let's look at that again. Simeon sees Jesus and spontaneously prays, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. This is a spontaneous prayer which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your nation, people Israel. By the way, this right here, a revelation to the Gentiles, that is the light of God shining through Jesus to you all. To, most of you are Gentiles, non-Jews. I'm not a Jew. So whenever I see this phrase, revelation to the Gentiles or a light to the Gentiles, that's for you and for me, unless you're Jewish, then, then this last phrase is for you. Now, uh, the Jews <laughs> had a prayer for everything. And most of these prayers were formal, customary prayers. And you can do research and find out um, there was a formula that they used. I hate to use the word formula, but it was just a custom. And all their prayer, most of their prayers started off with this phrase, blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe. And then they would add, you know, another phrase. So in, in Hebrew, this is Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Malek Ha'alom. And so that, that phrase, Baruch Atah Eloheinu, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Malek Ha'alom, you'd hear it again and again and again. Then they would add, for instance, if before you got ready to eat something, who brings forth bread from the earth. Now, that should sound familiar to some of you. Those of you who've become fans of the chosen, I hope all of you, because I keep talking about it, if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's this app you can download on the App Store called The Chosen. You can see it on YouTube, and it's, it's a show that shows the life of Jesus, and it is incredible. Some of you are watching it, and if you have been, you've seen this scene where Jesus, the character Jesus, literally says, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Exact, where, where did that prayer come from? Well, the directors wrote it. No, it came from ancient Judaism. It came from the practice of this life of, of everything you do, you thank God for it. You're centering God. Remember I said they had a prayer for everything. So before you drink, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. Before you um, uh, go to bed at night, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings sleep to my eyes. There's also, Jesus does this one in The Chosen. You can see these prayers. They're not made up. They're customary, formal prayers that were taught to develop a God-centered life so that everything you do practically is, a, is, is uh, introduced by a short prayer. These aren't long prayers. They're just prayers to center me. Thank you, Lord, for my food. Thank you, Lord, that I have a place to sleep tonight. Thank you. So you don't, you don't have to do these. There's no command, but that's the way the Jewish people did it. So what I'm suggesting is that we try to think of ways that we can just thank God throughout the day for the food we have, for the car we drive, for the children we have, for our spouse, for, oh, I was going to say for sunshine, but we haven't seen the sun shine. We know it's shining, though. Even though we can't see it, we thank God for it, right? And we thank God for the seasons because we really get that in Cleveland, Ohio. So, I mean, you know, make all of life an act of prayer, right? And so it's interesting that after the prayer of the spontaneous prayer of Simeon, 
Luke is giving this window into this life of prayer. The next person he mentions is Anna. What is she doing? She never left the temple, the place of prayer, but worship night and day, fasting and praying. So is, what, is, is Luke recommending that all of us leave our jobs and live in the temple? Is that why Simeon and Anna's story are here? No, 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 no. He's just saying that the way that God called them to practice a God-centered life was to hang around the temple courts, to hang around church, to, to just center their life praying. I know some people in our church that just pray for me and for you and for our staff and for our church just all the time. They're, they're like modern-day Annas that are praying men, women, older, younger in our church just kind of staying in a spirit of prayer. And while we all may not be able to hang out at the church and you'll move to the temple and be praying for everyone all day, we can build into our day these kinds of prayers, these short, you might just call them breath prayers. Like they're, they're so short. And you know, if you don't wanna do the blessed is he or blessed are our Lord our God, just say, thank you, Lord, that I have a job as you, as you drive to work. Thank you, Lord, as you come home, that I have a family. Thank you, Lord, that I have shelter. You do remember that, that there are millions of people in our world today that don't even have a place to sleep. They don't have shelter. They make it every night. They don't have food. So this is not a guilt trip. This is just nurturing gratitude, right? and nurturing that with our children to build prayer into the day. What do you mean, Jim? Well, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of praise. Thank you, Lord, that I have a bed. Thank you, Lord, that I have food. You know, praising God for this day, praying before meals, um, praying before bedtime, pray when you get up. You know, thank you, Lord, for awakening my soul, awakening my eyes, awakening my life to you this morning. Or prayers when you're afraid, Pray when you're hurt. You know, we did this with our children. We tried to teach our children when, when anything happens that caused you to feel fear or caused you to feel uh, um, anger or, you know, any emotion, bring it to God. When, when, um, you, when, you, when our kids lost something, we said, let's pray about it. And you're like, that sounds cheesy. Does it really? For a people who are trying to nurture God-centeredness, there's a popular book that was written a couple years ago called Practical Atheists. It's a, just a, a searing critique of the church in America who come to, people who come to church on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, they're practical atheists, meaning they just ignore God. See, what we're talking about doing is centering your life around God. And, and here's some ways that you can do that. So no matter where you are in life, just bring that to God. In other words, like Paul said in Philippians 4, pray about everything. What a, what a concept. It's not just Old Testament. It's New Testament. It's not just uh, priests. It's everyday disciples. It's not just pastors. It's parents. It's people who love God, who are living God-centered lives, who want to shape their children to live God-centered lives. Now, maybe there are some older parents here who are saying, Jim, I did that. 
I brought my kids to church. I taught them how to pray. We, we saturated our kids with God. And today, they're not following God. If I asked for a show of hands right now, you might be amazed by how many people would raise their hand and say, my adult children are not walking with God. And some of you feel terrible guilt. I didn't do enough. Others of you are angry because you felt like you did everything. Let me just ask you to pause and invite you to to enter in just for a moment to how God feels, who has given us everything and the vast majority of the human race I was going to say, gives God the finger. I, I just said it. <laughs> you know, snubbing our nose doesn't feel strong enough. You know, I hate you, God. You don't matter. God has given us the very breath we breathe. He's given human race everything we need. And the vast majority, stiff arm God, hate God. So God knows what it's like to love perfectly and to be rejected. So this isn't a formula. God himself had rebellious children. So when God gave every human being, including babies, a will, they can exercise that will. So what, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not preaching a formula. That if you follow this formula perfectly, woo-hoo, your kids will love God the rest of their life. That's, that's not realistic. It's not biblical. And it's just not true to life. And it's especially not true when you think about the first father, the first parent. And if you can have the guts to do this, to just sit in some of the pain that your father feels, God loves every single human being. There's no person, whether you like him or not, God loves them. There is no person who's ever lived that God did not love like crazy. And yet most of us reject him. God lives with that. God yearns for every person to surrender their life to him. He says, I made you. I have plans for you. I want you to flourish. But most of us reject him. So next time you're feeling like a failure as a parent, compare yourself to the perfect parent who most of his kids have rebelled. Amen? So don't beat yourself up. Just keep loving. Keep keep teaching, keep modeling, and let God, and keep praying for your kids, and let God do his thing. I love this, this, this inclusion of the, the moving of the Holy Spirit, and I pointed it out earlier, how Simeon was such a man of prayer, so tuned in to God, that, you know, it's, it almost feels like the Holy Spirit just had to whisper, just go into the temple. See, when you nurture a life of prayer, when you're feeling the heart of God, when you're connecting with God, and the Holy Spirit wants to do something, all he has to do is just a little nudge, and you're moved by the Spirit, you're led by the Spirit, and he goes into the temple courts. Why, why am I pointing that out? Because there's a setting here. Remember when, remember when we study the Bible, we want to know who, what, where, why, when, where is this all happening? This whole story is happening in the temple courts, and this sets us up to the next thing that I want you to see, that as the Spirit moves Simeon, he, he brings him into the temple courts, which, by the way, just happens to be when Jesus' parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. 
What Luke is helping us see here is what we pointed out two weeks ago, that God gave to the nation of Israel a tabernacle and then eventually a temple, gave them instructions about building a tabernacle and then a temple, and especially with the tabernacle, which was made as a tent, to put it in the center of the nation of Israel. At this point, they're living in the wilderness. They're like living in, like camping. These are all tents. And this is what it would have looked like in in the first five books of the Old Testament. As Israel is living in the fields, this big, it doesn't look big here, but this big tent area, that's the, that's the Holy of Holies, that's the traveling tabernacle. This is where they did the sacrifices and the prayers. And that's at the center of the nation of Israel. The first circle of tents is the priests and the Levites. And they're the holy men, they're the priests who deal with all the things in, in this tabernacle. And when, when a temple was built, you still have these same people living nearby and they're attending to the sacrifices and the prayers and all the things happening in the temple. And then on the outside is the you know, we have estimates of upward to a million people living in, in, in Israel at the time, and they're all centered around God. So it's not just the, the scripture and not just the customs and not just the prayers, but even in the, the physical um, placement of the tabernacle and eventually the temple, there is this picture of God-centeredness, the centrality of the temple. And so the point The Jews didn't get this. The point was not to worship the tabernacle or worship the temple to make that their security. Now, the point was that that's where God chose to dwell. It's the spiritual center of the people of God. And all throughout history, God has invited people to make a a gathering place. So we are the temple of, of God individually, as we worship God, because God lives in us by the power of his spirit, but he calls us to gather and says there's something powerful about what the spirit does when the people of God, the children of God, gather together in a place, and that's why we have church, because it's, it's, it's this idea of the people of God gathering around to worship God. Can I worship God by myself? Sure. Can I pray by myself? Sure. Can I be the people of God by myself? No. Can I be the church by myself? No. God wanted the people to gather. And so how do we apply that today? Simply participate in weekly church services. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together, the writer of the Hebrews says. There's something that God ordained about the people of God gathering together in a place to worship God, to love on each other, to serve each other to sacrifice their lives before him, to say, I give you all of me. Here I am. I'm sacrificing everything for you. I'm gonna live for you. I wanna be be reminded of that as I worship. I'm not treating you like a part-time God, and I'm not a part-time follower. I'm giving my all to you. And so there's this this offering. There's this attentiveness. There's this God-centeredness as we gather to worship God on a weekly basis. So here's my encouragement to you. Be that family that decides today, we will never ever have another discussion in this family about whether we're gonna go to church and gather with the people of God. it's, It's gonna be a habit for us. Now, let me show you why I think this is so important. Later on in Luke, just a couple of chapters later, Luke says that Jesus went to Nazareth where he was raised. 
where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, and look at these words, as was his custom. The word custom there means habit. So, did you see the beauty of this? Luke is helping us see that Jesus was taught where, as he brought up, to go to Sabbath, to go to synagogue every week. That's my habit. Now, are you saying that Jesus wouldn't have gone to the synagogue if his parents didn't teach him to? Probably not. He's, he's, he's God. But I just want you to see that his parents modeled that and taught him that. And I want to challenge you to be the kind of family that, that never, ever again decides, well, is it rainy outside? Were we up late last night? We have a lot to do this Sunday. It's such a long drive. I, I, you know, we, we were there last week. And no, every, like Jesus, like Jesus' parents, I want to challenge you to obey God, to forsake not the gathering of yourselves together. Every week, be like Jesus, and every week, come together. I don't know if I'm going to get amens here. And come together and worship with the people of God. It's a part of God's plan. I got an amen. All right, cool. <laughs> but not just every week. Um, where's the word week? Uh, it's a Sabbath day. Not just every seventh day, but then in verse 41 of chapter 2, he says every year, not just that Jesus, Jesus' parents went up to Jerusalem, which is from Nazareth now. Every year they went to Jerusalem, probably a three or four, five-day walk, to the festival of the Passover. Well, what is that? This festival of the Passover. Well, that was the, the, one of the seven festivals that God gave the people of Israel to say, I want you to mark your year by these seven festivals. Guys, there were parties. You read the Old Testament and you, you, you read what God commanded them to do. He says, dance, laugh, um, um, drink, eat, dance, laugh, drink, eat, dance some more and eat and laugh. And it's, he's telling them to party <laughs> seven times a year, these feasts and festivals. And so this is a part of God's seven-part plan. And I, I've been studying the festivals uh, anew the last couple of weeks, and they're all to celebrate God's blessing. So the, so the Feast of Passover is to celebrate when God delivered the nation of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt. And every year they're supposed to have this elaborate feast and party to celebrate that. But did you know that God commanded out of the seven festivals, he commanded every year, you should come to three of these. It's Deuteronomy 6. Now you know. God commands three times a year all your men, which if you want to get the family there, get the men there. God understood that. All your men, all your families must appear, must appear before the Lord your God at the place. Well, that's Jerusalem. At the festival of the unleavened bread, that's the first one. Um, and that festival of unleavened bread is actually the Passover. That's the Passover launches the seven-day festival of unleavened bread. So that's, that's the feast that Jesus' parents took him to every year. Why? Because it's commanded to in the Bible. God gave these feasts because he wanted his people to party. I know some of you are like, did you just say God wants us to party? You heard me right. You're not sleeping. This is not a dream. God commanded us to party. Wow. But not just once a year. And then come to this festival of weeks. Well, festival of weeks, literally, it's 50 days. It's seven weeks after Passover, plus one day. Well, seven times seven is 49, plus one is 50. The word for 50 is the word 
Pentecost. That's the festival of weeks, the festival of Pentecost. You know what happened at Pentecost in the New Testament. That's when the Holy Spirit came. If you want to listen to our podcast, The Cutting Room Floor, I'm going to talk about this. An amazing thing this week. It's incredible. But this third festival I want you to go to is the festival of tabernacles. So three times a year. This is what Jesus', or Jesus parents are doing. They're obeying God, bringing Jesus to the big party in Jerusalem. So let's continue these things seeing these things and, and say, okay, God, if you thought it was so important to command them to party, to celebrate, not just any old party, just get, me, get clear about this, not to party about anything, but to party about God's blessings, his deliverance, his feeding them, his making them a nation, him fighting for them, him protecting them, all the things that God did, I think this is a good idea for us to create special events and meals, parties, to celebrate with our families, with our children, anything we can think of the party. So, so, I mean, not anything, God-centeredness. So to have summer camps, parties throughout the year. Uh, this is a funny story. I had a bunch of kids um, and teenagers over to our house a couple years ago, and we were partying in our backyard so loud that the neighbors came over. And it was, actually, it was 11 o'clock, and we were playing this game where we pulled little coals out of the fire and passed them to each other. Don't send your kids to my family. But we were just having, laughing and having so much fun that the neighbor goes, what? It's 11 o'clock at night. I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. We were just having fun because we're Christians. And, you know, so summer camps, vacation Bible school, you know, all these things that you can do, just fun things. I know some of you still can't get in your head that God wanted the people of God to have fun. He commanded them, eat, drink, party, dance, have fun. This is a way of celebrating who I am and what I do for you. And this helps people get the idea that God is a God who gives and who celebrates and who, who delivers us. And so these special events are things we can do. And that brings us to the last one, the daily practices. So after all these other God-centered activities, there's this daily, we saw this in Deuteronomy 6 last week, this daily activities because you know, God says these, all these commandments that I give you, like party, like, you know, listen, like obey, like keep, keep the covenant, impress them on your children. There it is again. And then look at the dailiness of this. Talk about them with your children when you sit at home. We looked at this last week. When you walk along the road, when you lie. These are all daily activities. In one way, in one sense, there's nothing special about this. And that's part of the point for this one is that God says for all the special things, for all the ceremonies, for all the customs, for all the festivals, for all the worship services, for all the scripture, for all the things that are, that are special, I want to build a God-centered life into the daily, moment-by-moment -moment fabric of your life so you don't get the feeling that we're just thinking about God when it's a big event, when it's a party, when it's at church, but that daily you're talking about God when you lie down, when you get up, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. These are not sacred activities. These are daily, ordinary activities that you make sacred because you make them moments to center your life around God and to pass that on to your children. How do we do that? We're teaching our kids Bible verses. We're, we're telling them Bible stories. And one of my favorite things to do, I write about this in my book, 
was, especially when my kids were little, was to, to, to act out Bible stories at bedtime. And uh, sometimes I would lay in the bed and read the story and talk about it. Sometimes I would act it out, you know. And I tell some stories in my book about some hilarious times together as a family. But I'm trying to do this, just build it throughout the day. Good books. Some of you say, well, where do I, how do I know what good books to read? Well, the Bible is a good place to start and other books about the Bible. But a friend of my mother named Gladys Hunt wrote a book about 30 years ago, and it's become a bestseller. It's been printed multiple times. And it's a, a compilation of uh, books to read to your children. And it keeps getting updated because new books keep getting written. And now her son, Mark Hunt, has released this book. And it's, it's loaded with Christian, biblical, and non-Christian books that create imagination in your children. So you're reading books with your children, and you're, you're telling stories about God. This, I mentioned this book series called Theology. And um, I actually brought a copy of this um, <clears throat> up because I am so blown away and impressed with this. Um, this is a series of books called The Story of God, and in it are a, a series of books, this one, first one called I Am Creator, and then there's, there's some other titles there, and they're beautifully written, beautifully designed children's books that teach theology. Theology. They teach theology to babies. And you're like, what? That's exactly right. What? Because that's what God commanded us to do. Start when they're young. And so they're learning that God is holy, that God is forever, that God is with you, that God is creator, that God is the rescuer. And it's just, they're fantastic. So if you want to carefully look at these when you come up here, if you want, you can check them out. But I, I can hardly recommend these enough. Jenny Allen, the lady from the IF table wrote these, and they're amazing. Read them to your children. She tells stories about how people she knows who are godly, Bible-rooted people who read these stories to their kids and learned things they had never known about God. <laughs> it's so, so beautiful. So, you know, these are just some books that you can read your kids. Get them some good music. You know, play music that's, that's God-centered. There's so much good Christian music around, worship music. Sing with your kids. Have, be silly with your kids. We've got this thing called Right Now Media that you can get on our website. It's our church has paid for a, a subscription for everybody who attends our church, not just members. If you come to our church, we have already paid for a subscription for you. You can go to Right Now Media and there are tons of adult, student, and children resources, games, videos, Bible studies, story kids, um, VeggieTale videos, all that kind of stuff. It's all free because we've paid for it for you. Use it. Games, you know, all these things that, that are available out there. We have so many resources that are available. So let me bring this all back and wrap it up. God has called you to live a God-centered life. And for some of us, he gives us children. And in so doing, calls us to pass this God-centered life onto our kids. And while some of us are so overwhelmed and thought, how do I do this? I've just given you a blueprint. It's not the way. I'm not telling you that. It's a way. But it's built off of God's way of parenting his children in the Old Testament. 
So come up with another plan if you don't like this one. But, but don't be that parent who trains his kids, who trains her kids because you're such a permissive, uninvolved, unconnected parent that you're unintentionally training your kids. You're on your own at age two, at age three. You're just gonna have to figure this out. I'm too busy living. I'm too busy paying the bills. I'm too busy for you. No, moms and dads, pour into your kids. Take them with you places. Be with them as much as possible. Bring them to church. Bring them to our children's ministries, which are, are so good. Bring them to our student ministries. Our Lorraine campus has Wednesday night programming for children. We're hoping to do that in Elyria soon and other campuses. There's, there's tools. There's, there's, there's uh, resources. We can help you. We can help you raise God-centered children because God gave you, those kids to you and he put you in a church and the family and the church together are God's plan to help pass on their faith to the next generation. So talk about this with your kids. And just turn over a new leaf and just build these things into your life's kids, into your kids' lives. Because incorporating discussion about God, God-centeredness, about his love into the daily life of your family lays that foundation to live a God-centered life. I was talking to the guy, I'll close with this. I was talking with a guy two days ago who was raised in a church that did the Lord's Prayer every week. And then he rebelled, left the church, wasn't in the church for decades. And one time got into a really, really difficult situation and the Lord's Prayer just came back to him like that. Because why? A foundation had been laid a prayer, a, an experience, a, an event that, that, that shaped his life. You and I can do this. Let's rededicate ourselves. We're going to sing a song that just says, Lord, Lord I, I give you my life, all of my life. Take my life. Every moment, every day, everything I have, I surrender it to you. So would you close your eyes? Let me just pray over you. Father, as we sing as we close this service, I pray that you will just burn in each one of our hearts a desire to love you with all of our heart, to reawaken that desire that has faded in some, and that you would help us recommit ourselves to our children and the children around us, that we would be a church full of families, young adults, young parents, old parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, who are giving our best to raise God-centered children. God, help us. We dedicate ourselves. We give ourselves to you anew today. For we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.